Welcome to the Morse Code Podcast, where we talk with entrepreneurially-minded creatives in music, film, and writing. My name is Corby, and I'm hoping these conversations inspire you to push deeper into your own work, whether you're a full-time professional or just curious about what it's actually like to live as an indie creative. This week's episode is sponsored by WriterFest Nashville, a two-day in-person conference for writers of book, song, and film aimed at inspiring and connecting writers with the people and ideas that can elevate their craft and their career. Check out WriterFest.com for more info and check out the WriterFest podcast right here on this platform. I was a recent guest. Okay, so I'm really excited to bring you this conversation with Amy McConnell. Amy is a writer, editor, and publishing consultant here in Nashville. She formerly served as editor-in-chief and vice president of Howard Books, Simon & Schuster, and before that handled acquisitions and editing duties for HarperCollins, where she helped launch a successful fiction imprint. What's more, she founded WriterFest, which I attended last year as a panelist, and where I met several heavy players in the publishing game, people who I'm working with today on new projects. So I've personally benefited from Amy's talents and passion for the written word. In this conversation, we discuss her experience in publishing, what it looked like from her perspective in terms of finding and marketing properties. We also talk about her being both a book lover and an extrovert, which is a pretty uncommon combination, and how that's helped her find opportunities both for herself and for the authors she's worked with. We're both book nerds and we vibe for a second on the experience of feeling seen by books. And finally, she has a book recommendation for me, which means you should probably stick it out to the end of the conversation. If you get something out of the Morse Code podcast, please like and subscribe. New episodes come out every Thursday. And now here's my conversation with Amy McConnell. Amy McConnell, thank you so much for making some time for us over here. Dude, thank you so much for having me. I love it. You are one of the busiest people I know. And uh, <laughs> I think most of that's self-imposed and probably we'll get into that. But um, that. yeah, I thought that maybe we could start with, well, This is. I feel like this conversation is going to go wide and be a little unpredictable. Mm. And for that reason, I'm really excited. That sounds fun. Yeah, I knew you'd be up for it. But um, maybe we could start with... Uh, why why and how you got into books in the first place were you a precocious reader as a kid precocious. or hmm. boy i'm reluctant to take on that moniker but i will say i did have this wonderful moment when i was little where i oh man learning to read was so important to me i, I felt left out of that conversation and mm. so i think i i learned to read probably like four or five and and couldn't couldn't believe my luck like it seemed like such a delicious thing to be able to do and I remember very specifically getting advanced to a certain section of the library by a particular teacher she took me in the library and she was like you can go over there Amy you're you've you've you're able to read those chapter books now and I said any of them like I can read any of them and she affirmed that I was allowed to go over into the teenager section Ooh, access granted right? and oh my goodness and you were how old then I think I was I feel like it was it was definitely third grade or below so mm. maybe second or third wow. grade yeah that's not I even know. nine or ten that's I don't like think eight. anybody knew I don't think anybody knew what was over in that section of the library because I started reading Judy Bloom. Do you remember the yeah, oh, the controversy of the nineties? Yes, and so eighties. I just thought this was unfettered access to universes I was never allowed to talk about or think about in my head. You know, not that I had a super restrictive background, but it was just wonderful mm-hmm. to me. And and um, I'm just so I can throw out a title or yeah. super fudge. No, I didn't is that, read is super that fudge. Ju- but tales of a fourth grade nothing is yeah. that Judy Bloom? But here's what I was reading. I was reading Deanie. And are you there, God? It's me, oh, Margaret. Yeah. And um, oh, all the I, I should dig back through her backlist and see what I've read. But I, it was wonderful to me, and I very clearly remember reading um, in that in that same space, not Judy Bloom, but reading um, Tales of a Fourth. No, not Tales of a Fourth Grade. Run thing: The Rise and Fall of a Teenage Wacko. I don't. I can't tell you the name of the author, but I remember reading that specific book, and thinking, "Oh, I wish I could talk to this author." 
Hmm. I wish I could talk to her and just know what motivated her to set it in this place and why, she, I don't know if I would have used the word motivated, but why she set it in this place and um, wanted to tell her the things I loved about the book and also some of the things I didn't like as much. I wanted <laughs> to tell her those things. And <laughs> I just thought if I could have that conversation, that would just be the sweet, like it would be, I couldn't think of anything I'd like better. Yeah. Right. Like I, I was a kid who did not want to be necessarily climbing Mount Everest, but I thought if I could have a conversation with this author, that would be my dream come true. Mm, I, um, and so right from the very beginning in that like willingness to offer some constructive criticism, <laughs> you're already putting your editor, editor right? hat on. You're like, some helpful hints for your next book. That's probably too late I can for this remember one, really thinking through it, like how would I say that so it wouldn't be an insult, you know? No. <laughs> I can wow, really remember. you were practicing you then eight yeah, years old. I, mean, I just really wanted to have this conversation. I didn't want to write it. I didn't want to figure out how to be a writer from her I wanted to talk to her about what she'd written mm -hmm. uh, and so that like did that spark an interest to like kind of solidified in college later or did you were you like I'm gonna be an editor no yeah. no what is an editor I mean I didn't know what an I editor was know. I don't think yeah um, I knew I loved words and I knew I excelled in that space in you know the English language kind mm -hmm. of area I knew I'd made sort of better grades in that than other kids. That kind of thing. I had that sense, mm -hmm. which I th thought meant I would be a teacher. Mm. That was the natural outgrowth of that in my mind. So that was my stated objective from an early age. So I would be the teacher in all the, you know, make-believe games. Sure. Um, and I would make up crossword puzzles and... <laughs> fill in the blanks mm -hmm. and um, give te spelling tests, things of that nature. Um, but I did in high school, was on the newspaper and became the editor of the newspaper at high, in high school. And um, we went to state. We won. Uh, so we were fairly good at that. But because um, I've always been somewhat ambitious. But I thought I was going to be a teacher. So, yeah, I went on to college, got my English degree, and was going on to graduate school and got a teaching job. And I found out that was not my calling. Mm -hmm. And then how long did that take before you were like, yeah, no. No, well, I, I mean, I just, I was just doing the thing, thinking, oh, this is just the hard knocks part of teaching. It'll be fine. I'll get through it. And then I'll teach college students and I'll love it someday. Um, but I was reading Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler during my quiet time, you know, just the, uh, for fun. Mm -hmm. Do you know her? No. Oh. Yummy. Very yeah, good. Yeah. So, Butler. Uh -huh, Parable of the Sower. And I, re I was reading Parable of the Sower and I got really frustrated with one of the <laughs> secondary plot threads. And I was just like, ah, it was so frustrated. And, and I said out loud to my roommate at the time, nobody must, there must be nobody that loves her at her publishing house because somebody should have told her, blah, blah, blah you know, whatever mm -hmm. it was I was so aggravated about. And I said, and clearly by the back cover copy, they didn't read that, you know, <laughs> I just was, yeah. had all these complaints to file against the editor at the publishing house, who I'm sure is a completely lovely person. It was just the thing that stoked my passion. And I said, if I were there, I would love her better. And I would be fighting the fight. And I went, oh, wait, that's what I really get impassioned about was mm -hmm. really, I really care more about <laughs> what happens in a book than I do in my classroom. And it just was a light bulb moment for me. Mm -hmm. And I just decided then I was gonna work in publishing. Were you like 23, 24? I was 23. Five? Yeah. yeah. And did you move uh, to New York or? No, I didn't. I lived in Nashville at the time. I had just, um, I was teaching, like I said, and I tore up my contract. I had a contract. Tore it up as literally. A, like literally as a mm -hmm. reminder for myself that I was not going back from Brilliant. this momentous moment. At momentous moment, that's a fun little phrase, and um, decided I was not not going to graduate school any, at all. And uh, at, at the time, because who knows, I may still do that. But um, I yet. found a job uh, as an what was my job? I was like a I know I had to strip codes out of documents at my first um, entry level job at, um, at Thomas Nelson here in town, mm -hmm. and that was in '94. Wow! And then oh, I just stated myself. 1994, and I was 23. Well, I'm, there you thankfully, go. I'm bad at math. And <laughs> Me too. I may have I even given you the wrong numbers. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Uh, we'll never know. Um, so, okay, so you were at Thomas Nelson for 
quite a long time. I wasn't. I left there actually for the first time I was there. I left and went and had a baby, had my son, Max, and started my own little thing and did for two years. I worked for myself and I worked for all the publishers that I could find. I just sought out editing jobs, writing jobs, um, and worked for a lot of different publishers until uh, Max was two. And then I went to work for Word Publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, was it easy once you decided that you were going to, okay, let me Was it back easy? Up. Easy to get the gigs. So you had already, you worked at Thomas Nelson. Mm-hmm. So you were like a known quantity within a certain circle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you decided to go your own way, there's, it, I guess what I'm getting at, there's like a hustle quotient to uh-huh. the new lifestyle. That's right. Right. Uh-huh. And so. Was that a natural adjustment for you? Did That's a great you, question. Did you already build up your clientele from there? I love that question. So I and I think it's hmm. I never even thought about that before. I mean, I'm sure I thought about it at the time, but I'm thinking back about it, and I'm thinking it was. I'm an extrovert. I don't know if you've noticed. You are an extrovert somehow. Which <laughs> I is, love talking to people. It's rare so for I, book people. Yeah, it is really rare. And I think it's kind of, I mean, it's weird, actually. People are like, what? Stop talking. <laughs> but, but I wanted to talk to people about books, and I wanted to talk to people about publishing, even mm-hmm. then. So if I found out, oh, you know, so-and-so at, in New York is looking for somebody to write copy for the Book of the Month Club, I'd go, oh, give me your number. I'll call her. Mm-hmm. And I had no trepidation around making that cold call and having those conversations because it's fun for me. Mm-hmm. So the hustle was definitely needed, but it was, I didn't and mind natural. it at all. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then so from there, you, okay, I'm trying to like, I'm reading, remembering from your CV that you were, I have a CV. Oh my god! Well, on your, I don't. I'm just that. That to me is a very fancy term That's for very fancy. A couple of paragraphs on your website. Okay, there you go. Uh, in which I learned that um, you acquired or you created a, a publishing division at. Um, right. Oh, at Harper. Yes, that's true. So tell so, me about that. Yeah. Like, help, finish well, my sentence and then tell me more. <laughs> and then you finish fine. That'll be fun. We'll okay. go back and forth. Okay. Um, yeah. So I was acquiring at uh, Word at the time. Remember I said I went to work for Word after the couple of years of working on my own. And at Word, I was acquiring um, underneath the direction of somebody else, the publisher. And I was doing a lot of nonfiction. And I and that's really all we did at Word. And I said to him, I found this fiction proposal that's not a proposal, a whole manuscript that I love. Can I please acquire it? Can I please take it to Ed Board? We we don't usually do that. And he said, give it a try. Give it a shot. Mm -hmm. So I went and I made an impassioned plea to acquire this fiction book. Um, I ended up doing a lot of books with that guy, but um, Robert Whitlow, my friend Robert Whitlow, and um, I did a bunch of fiction that that first year. And people started kind of giving me a hard time about it. Like, I mean, not a hard time, but teasing me about it they would go okay here comes the queen of fiction walking in here because uh, I, I had a reputation a title. <laughs> well I think it was it was a mock in jest quite a bit but <laughs> um but soon enough we had a lot of fiction and we ended up I got to become a director of fiction and then um, we saw that there was some good residual revenue around that mm. um we started a line of fiction women of faith fiction um got to work with some big authors there just the revenue was growing growing so we assembled a team and we launched a division and we had a bigger team we grew that team um so it just it grew from there um it was a beautiful beautiful thing that really happened i feel like organically it sounds like it did um can you describe to the uninitiated a little bit about what that process looks like when a publishing company considers and then either does or does not take on a work of fiction like how Mm. somebody it's like i have a book that i wrote and i want to get it published and with that answer perhaps you could describe how it's changed because i bet it's different than it was even 10 years ago or not i don't know myself yeah Hmm. i don't know i'm not in-house anymore how much it's changed Mm -hmm. i haven't been in-house for seven years um but I know a little bit about it because I still have an agent and I'm still working with agents a lot and I write books. So I, I know a little bit about it. But um, let's see. What does it look like? On this side of the desk, the editor's side of the desk, um, there's obviously a lot going on in-house in any corporation or any 
I'll should, I only worked for corporations, so I really don't know what it yeah. looks like in a boutique house. But in a corporation, there's a lot going on. There are heavy demands on an editor. And she has to, he has to, they have to bring in a certain number of books every year. And they have to reach a certain level of profitability or else they're out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm not trying to be ugly. That's just sure. the facts of the matter. And you get a certain amount of um, leeway based on how much you've already acquired in the past. So mm-hmm. a given editor may have zero leeway or she may have a lot of leeway based mm-hmm. on what's already in the pipeline for her or for her division. So on this side of the desk, there's already that pressure or a li- little bit less pressure, depending. She gets a manuscript and she says she quickly ascertains whether it's a good fit for her. Or not. Um, meaning it's like meaning, there's something interesting about it to her. This is what I have experience doing. I know what to do with this book. Yes. Or I have a gut a vision. Feeling. Yes. Maybe a vision for it. Maybe right. she goes, ooh, I feel like I know sort of what where this fits in the mm-hmm. universe. Um, this sort of this plucks a, a heartstring for me or not a heartstring. That's really cheesy. It feels like something that's touching on the zeitgeist that I want to be a part of. Because there may be things that touch on the zeitgeist, but you don't want to be a part of them yeah. as an editor, sure. just depending on what you've done before and what you want to do in the future. So if it does speak to her and she feels that little spark inside and she remember I was talking about Octavia Butler, she wants to fight for it. She mm. says, I'm going to go to bat for this. Then she has to run numbers to see if it will make sense financially for the company and if she can afford it, basically, mm-hmm. because what she's going to have to do is make an advance against royalties. So mm-hmm. that means you know, a, a dollar amount that she can give to the author and say, we're, we know we're going to earn this back once we start selling books. Because when we sell books, each time we sell a book, we're going to l- have a little profit and we'll we'll stack up the dollars until we've earned back what we've already given you. And then we'll start paying you off the top of that stack. Mm-hmm. Is that That's kind of the, the dumb math for me <laughs> version of how that works. Um, I also sometimes talk about it as like she has a credit card that the company has given. The editor has a company credit card that she can use, but she's going to have to pay it back with interest. And do you have to check with your boss about like, is it your decision, the advance amount or kind of the, the numbers well, around let that? Let me go one more step. So she, I run the numbers at my desk. I have to run those numbers and Got see it. if they even make sense for me based mm-hmm. on what my universe looks like. And then I go and make a case for it to my editorial board. And I say... This makes sense for me. It makes sense for us. We can make our money back on it, plus a bunch more money, and it will bring us prestige. Mm-hmm. If it's going to bring us shame and ill repute, nobody wants to do it, even if it's going to make a ton of money, mm. right? So I have to make a good case for it financially, reputation-wise, and I have to say the author is a good bet. We can count on him or her to bring us more work down the line that will also be profitable, mm. that will also be good for our reputation. That factors in as well as like mm-hmm. the potential Because if it's just a one-off, then they're going to be like, oh, gosh, that's a lot that's of a lot work. Of work for, yeah. So those are the considerations that have nothing to do with art. Mm-hmm. Um, that's super fascinating, though. But that what I think is interesting, and I can kind of make a uh, connection in the music business, is that um, there are a lot of artists in the 90s, maybe, who back in the days of real record deals would sign potentially horrendous deals with labels. But as a corollary of that, um, unpleasant experience, there was a lot of marketing dollars sunk into their band or name. And that um, sticks with people, uh, regardless of the relationship continuing or not with the record label. So artists who maybe had, you know, put out a record on Interscope that they never recouped and maybe they never made any money, but the record still had a big moment in the zeitgeist, um, are still able to, to tour on that name that the label built with their big label dollars and so it seems like there's there's a similar situation in a sense with the publishing companies uh, with publishers um, in that they there's a marketing budget they're sinking that budget into this book hoping to make their money and also establish a, a new writer a new name in the market and that writer is enjoying the benefits of that regardless of whether or not that relationship continues with mm-hmm. the publisher is and mm-hmm. for that reason i would think that a publisher would want to be um cautious uh or i'm sure there's a caution to all of this um it's, there's no what there's no book that's getting published just on its sheer um uh creative the joy that the editor or somebody reads it's got to have some kind of connection and a way to make money to move at all what what i love is that 
I'm, I'm such a sucker for that relationship between the editor and the author. Mm. I really, obviously, I feel very passionately about <laughs> it. Um, and I think that's the, that is often the magic that happens. I mean, there's this really nice intimacy between an author and an editor where if it's right, mm -hmm. then the editor gets the material and can speak with truth and love to mm -hmm. the author. And when that happens, there's some really cool stuff that comes out of that that nobody will ever know about and need not ever know about, right? Mm -hmm. It's just, for me, it's just the gift of the work is have that relationship. And I, I'm still close with a lot of people I've worked with for that reason, because mm -hmm. it is just our connection that matters to me i don't really care about the dollars at the end of it or any mm -hmm. or any you know any of those things um and that but that is um not baked into the formula mm -hmm. at any house or any it's not baked into the formula it's just something that we can hope for and wish for do you think that's basic to the nature of the fiction editor or, or editor in general is that that desire to nurture talent mm, or gosh. are there some that are a little bit more the company's man or woman and some that are a little bit more the the artist's man or woman i don't know i don't yeah. know you don't know well, yeah um i've certainly you, been edited you know a, lot. a bunch of other editors i do and i've been edited well and i've been edited poorly mm. and i've been edited in between so how yeah. is that um what are those what does that experience look like those two experiences edited well and edited poorly from the writer's perspective for you that and also if we talk about anything that you're like let's not go there we can always edit it out sure so there's no that's problem. good that's cool yeah. i love but i love a hard question i mean then that's a good one i think um my desire is that oh man i really want the work to be con like the work to connect with the end reader and i just kind of want to get out of the way of that happening mm -hmm. um and a good editor helps me get out of the way um that's what i try to do when i'm editing is try to help remove the speed bumps and um make the synapses fire between <laughs> you know between them that's probably not an appropriate analogy because they're two different brains but i that's the way i see it is like this little spark between the two of them happening um and there are so many barriers to connection, but words, I don't know how it, it's truly, truly magic to me that mm -hmm. it, words can connect us. And I love the end reader. Maybe it's because I still feel like that eight-year-old girl that feels like she found herself, that she felt heard and seen and understood in the context of a book more than anywhere else. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also me, you know, single mom me feeling like, you know, in the past, I'm, I'm married, but at the time when I was a single mom, I just felt so lonely and so de desirous of being fully seen and heard. And I felt that when I was in the context of a book. And I just want that for everyone. I want them to feel seen and heard and understood in the context of a book. And that that means an artist has to take that time. There's so much time involved and so much passion involved to create the book. And so when I step in between those two people, the reader and the author, in whatever context, sometimes I'm a collaborator, sometimes I'm a book doctor, sometimes an editor, my job is like to make sure this really is effective, um, efficacious, better. Mm -hmm. um, and that the end reader just does, it does feel that mm -hmm. connection. Um, so it's, it's really fun to get, hear you talk about, you know, what motivates you. And, um, I share that same feeling that you share of, um, feeling seen in a book and, mm. and that, that experience between reader and an author is, is one that's very intimate and sacred mm. and also transcends time, the limits of mm -hmm. time. Um, I'm reading a book right now, this, um, arcane little volume from a woman named Sarah um, Orn Jewett. And it's a book that was published in uh, 1905 called uh, The Country of the Pointed Furs. And it's, I guess she's sort of credited with um, introducing the idea of regional literature to the mm. scene back in the day. But um, who cares about any of that? It's just, and it's barely a novel. There's not a plot. It's just kind of a series of vignettes of people that the, the narrator interacted with in this fictitious small uh, main fishing village. And I'm just, mm. there's so many dear observations about the contemporary people of her time. And, the, and then from that, 
um, you can just extrapolate like from this character who lived alone on an island. You're like, I know that lady. I know somebody like that back where I'm from. And that thing that you can do in a book to draw those connections from some imagined place and and put put your own uh, people events and and places into it's so powerful and um there's no there's nothing else that does that like music is its own incredible power and i love it a lot um but it's definitely it's different and so um well I if i may <laughs> thank you if i may i think that because I, I don't create music but i feel as if um when i'm listening to music i'm in its um, spell. It's under. I'm, I'm under its spell. For sure. When I'm reading, I feel like I'm participating mm. because I'm conjuring images in my brain. I'm smelling the things that she or he smelled. I'm. It's. I feel like we're. Um, we're one in a way. Yeah. The author and I. And it's. It's not spooky. It's so natural. It's like the most natural thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Describe to me a little bit about the timeline of the interaction between author and editor. Is it like, say, say I were to have a finished manuscript that I'm like, I'm ready to show this to, I'm ready to shop it around, or I don't even know the words. Um, I want this to get published. And say I get um, w- wonderful news one day and an editor wants to work with me and help me bring this existing manuscript to a publishable work. What happens next, and then um, how long are those rounds of you know between revision and and notes? Is this a two year long process longer? Um, and I'm sure it's different with everybody. It is. It's different with everyone. That's pardon me for drawing in a this analogy, but I, that's why I often say it's like midwifery because you just really don't know when it's going to be born until it's born mm. and. Certainly, there are artificial um, things we can do to make a, a book come into the world at a certain time, and that's where the analogy falls apart. Obviously, the <laughs> metaphor is not good, but um, it depends on what you want. Sometimes things have a certain time that they need, you mm-hmm. know, some certain timing, um, certain seasonality, or uh, maybe there's a giftable kind of season or a media opportunity that we're trying to meet. We can go backwards from there. I have worked with authors for years on projects for sure. Mm-hmm. It just depends on what what our goals are and objective our objectives are. Mm-hmm. That's uh, <clears throat> a fascinating look at the editing side of what you do, but there's a lot of, of what you do. And let's talk about that for a second, which is that you're a writer yourself. Um, and the, to my knowledge, you have one book, um, Faithful Daughter. And what motivated you to write that? And I and I ask this because in a previous conversation that we've had, you were like, um, and I could be remembering wrong, so full disclosure. Uh, I you know I'm I, I do I'm always kind of like I, I'm more at home helping other people than putting myself out there. And question one is, do, do I remember that correctly? Um, yes, then, you do. Okay, good. Question two is then what made you decide to put yourself out there and put your name on the front cover mm. and say, yeah, this is my book. A great question. So Faithful Daughter is the only one that has my, just my name on the front. Mm-hmm. So typically I collaborate with an author. So it'll say with Amy McConnell mm-hmm. or it'll say nothing about me on the cover and it'll just say something about me in the acknowledgements. Mm-hmm. just depends. Um, however, with Faithful Daughter, that was such a um, Amy led project in the sense that it's me and 30 three other authors. So I was having conversations around being a daughter, not about being a mother, which I am. I have five biological children and two bonus sons. So I am definitely a mother. That's one of my identifying characteristics. If Mm -hmm. you, you know, that's one of the top two (laughs) identifying (laughs) characteristics of mine. That said, I started to realize that being a daughter is a huge piece of who I am. And I wanted to explore that with my female friends. And most of my female friends are in the writing space. Mm -hmm. So I started talking to women about their daughterhood. And I realized we all had very different experiences with what that's, um, how that shaped us. And I just wanted people to be, I wanted to invite other people into that conversation. So that's really what the book is. It's 
33 women talking about what daughterhood has meant to them and how it shaped them. Um, there are t- stories from people who have been through torturous mm. childhoods um, and come out on the other side and are still people who care and are faith, faith-filled. They mm-hmm. still believe in mm-hmm. something. Um and there are really sweet stories in there too, but it's really just about what it means to be a daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, I'm glad you said that bit about that helps me understand it. The word faithful seems to imply like a through line of whatever our different, the unique circumstances of our particular stories, there's like a, in an honoring or a harmony with said mother. Um, to in a, Am I right? Is that kind of? I, some of the stories involve boundaries around that relationship where mm-hmm. it's not help, healthy to be in relationship with that person mm-hmm. anymore but sure. honoring the daughterhood part of it yes um and the faith word to me is really just i mean i don't know about i i love words so it matters sure. to me a lot it's not at all about religion for me faithful is really about a mindset of um moving forward in belief mm-hmm. that it'll all make sense or that there's some good in it. Um, Mm -hmm. It's, yeah. So, yeah. I think what's been really cool to me is that uh, it's it's a pretty good backlist book. I mean, it's still selling nicely. And women tell me that they buy it for other women who are hurting because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of pain around. (laughs) I hate for my book to necessarily be associated with pain, but it is a nice way to feel heard and seen if you are going through something difficult with your mother. If Mm -hmm. she's passed or if she's aging or if she's, um, if you've had to leave the nest as a college student, if there's some transition going on, it's great to see there's all kinds of ways that this can go down well. Sure. I mean, isn't that one of the great uh, palliative characteristics of any any book or, or work or conversation is just there's just this sense of like I, I'm, not alone I'm not alone in this yes. and it's so powerful in any of its uh, manifestations right um, absolutely agree so yeah that's the only book Corby that has my name on it all by itself like it says Amy McConnell and friends um, mm-hmm. which is awesome and those people are still definitely my friends so I love sharing that book with people and saying you should definitely read this one inside um, so that's really fun and then the rest of the books that I have I think they're 15 now are all just collaborate they're, I, I said just and I didn't mean that they're collaborative and that's different than an editing role it is that's you're taking an active role in the actual writing that's right and it, was that a new um, a new muscle to flex like somewhere along your career or was it like uh something that you did early on and then it was more of a i'm doing more of that now so that's a great question so i did fiction for so long i I mean it was a lot of years worth of just editing fiction that was Mm -hmm. all that i edited was fiction for um i think 15. again don't know the math but i think it's 15. and then i went to work for simon and schuster and was over the nonfiction and the fiction there at um, at Howard Books. And that was a delight. I loved doing it. Got to work with some amazing people there. And while I was there, I had a number of celebrity books. And so I was hiring, hiring is the wrong word. I was working with a number of celebrity ghostwriters. Mm-hmm. And that was so fun. I, I went, okay, there in the past, I've worked with novelists who care a ton so about every aspect of the work and a ghostwriter i found really cares about um things that are a little bit more um publisherish mm-hmm. right because they're is this going to be marketable mm-hmm. can we go on the news and talk about this will this have enough hooks um will it be sexy enough will it be interesting enough and do we have an actual book here or is this just a magazine article and so the ghostwriters and i had the best time it was mm-hmm. it, it was the first time in a long time that i'd said you're very different than the authors that they're, I've worked uh, with in the past. They understood in advance the marketing end or the yeah, the, yeah the they did. End of so we what, could have different conversations, and I could say, I could use my um, red pen real heavily with them, and they it didn't hurt their feelings at all. Yeah. Where novelists you have to be a little bit more careful about that, judicious about um, edits, and more honoring of the art, right? Whereas a ghostwriter was like, oh, whatever, I don't care. We'll just figure this out, and um, had so much fun with them, and so. Um, when I left there, um, a number of agents and editors would say, now, who do you think I should get for this? 
because I just, you know, I know a lot of people and say, would say, who, who would be a good ghost for this? And who would, and I would say, oh, well, she's great at this, but she's not great at this. And he's good at this, but not great at that. And you might want to work on this and make sure you put in a clause in the contract about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I just kind of knew my way around that space. And one specific, I'm trying to think if she was an agent or an editor at that point, but one specific person said, you would be really good at this. And I said, no, I wouldn't. What are you talking about? <laughs> she said, would you at least take the call? Like, just have an interview with the author. Mm. And I said, you know, I'm always down for a call with an author. And so I got on the call and she hired me. And I went, oh, okay, I'm coming to New York next week. So, you know, based out, um, laid out the book, figured out what the book map would be and then wrote it and then went, there was another contract for another one. It just, it just has sort of snowballed from there. Um, it was really Stephanie Smith. Shout out to Stephanie Smith to say thank you for, for that um, that first book gig. And how so, long ago is that? That was 2017. And so, oh, so that's not too, not long know, ago. Mm-mm, not long ago. But like begets like, and so one gig led to another and to another. And I imagine that there's a wonderful freedom in, uh, or maybe a better better to put it, uh, flexibility with the ghostwriting gig and you're. You're free. Freelance is maybe not the word either, but you're your own your own shingle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, are you? Are there like gigs booked out for another year, or are you juggling three or more at once, or one, or how does? I'm juggling. What does it look like? I'm juggling for sure. <sighs> um, have some support and some help. Um, specifically, agent help is a big deal because I can't. It's difficult. I can. I can do anything. I always have to remind myself. I, I have can. no doubt. I, I can, but I don't like to do the business aspects and the creative aspects mm. of the negotiation. Mm. I certainly, for a lot of years, negotiated and did creative work. But um, so an agent helps me with a lot of those um, business points, and then yeah, I juggle a lot of work at the same time. Is the agent your agent, or is it their agent? Pardon me. For, that's Great probably question. An ignorant I need my question. own agent. Okay. So if I'm collaborating with an author, she or he will have an, their own agent and I have my own agent just to make sure I'm protected. If if the same agent is working both sides. Conflict of interest. Yeah, it's a conflict. It's, um, it's just kind of like having a lawyer, their, your lawyer talk to their lawyer. That's the kind of very yeah, similar it's simple. situation. Yeah, Got it. yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, you have so many plates spinning and um, one of those plates is Writer Fest and I'm my That's now, yes, clearly your heart. I, I mean, you are um, one of the most cheerleadingest people I've ever met. <laughs> like, forget books, I and mean, just kind of in general, you love people. When you came over today, the first thing you did was talk to our producer Kyle about what what's Kyle's his project, great. what's his life like, and you, yeah, it was just like. That's so you, and um, you. It's, uh, it's an irresistible energy to be around. It's infectious, and people, um, I feel lighter and encouraged just being around you, Aww. and I know I'm not alone. Um, and I wonder if that was what was one of uh, an, an impetus for Writer Fest, and maybe you can tell me a little bit about that. If my being a cheerleader was an impetus? Yeah, with your desire to help um, not just I feel like it's you have a desire not to help authors for sure, but just also just help books, you know. No, nope, no, nope. it's totally scene. selfish. It was a totally selfish okay. motive, I think. So I, so we live here in Nashville, and yes. I have volunteered for Southern Festival of Books, no, which is well. coming up mm-hmm. in October. Um, I think since I was in college, a lot of years at any rate, and I was at Southern Festival of Books and was high as I get when I'm at book events. Mm-hmm. So I was, this is so fun. And I ran into my friend, Kim Reed, who is um, a professor at Lipscomb University. And I said, I love this thing. Don't you love it when we get to be around <laughs> authors? And she said, I love this thing. It's so great. And I said, we should do more of this. We should bring in writers and have people talk to them more often. And she said, we could do it at Lipscomb. That'd be fun if we could do it at Lipscomb. And I said, yes, I know how to do that. Cause I, for years, I had traveled to speak at writers' conferences, um, mm-hmm. Romance Writers of America or um, Book Expo or various book events. I would go as a representative of my company to talk about branding or talk about editorial process or talk about acquisitions or whatever it was and love to go to those events. So when I was at Southern Festival of Books and talked to Kim Reed, I went, yes, 
we're going to do that here in Nashville because this is my little brain thing is I was like, this town is crazy collaborative. Mm -hmm. People love to get together to share ideas and to talk about the intersection of our art and our, you know, our arts. Like you and I would talk about how our art can interact with each other's kind of art. And I thought, wouldn't that be really fun to do? And I said, let's meet and let's plan it out. Let's figure it out. And so Kim and I met and talked and kind of sketched something out. And this was in 2014. And um, I started talking with Lipscomb University about making that happen on behalf of Harper, where I was at the time. And then when I left Harper, the idea stayed there. Well, when I left Simon & Schuster years later, my old boss, David Moberg, who shout out to David Moberg, um, is just an amazing man. He said, Amy. Now that you're not at Simon & Schuster, come back and, and take this idea and run with it. And um, I didn't go back to Harper, but I did did get the idea back and went back to Lipscomb and said, do you guys still want to do this deal? And they they let me host it there. So um, so we've been there for, I think, um, four years now. So it's been – that was great to, to be able to do that. And we brought in, we've brought in amazing speakers from all over um, and just had a great time with it. It's grown every year. And it's not – it's books – and songs and film. There's That's right. kind of a three components. There's a serious overlap between that enterprise and this one, which covers the same. I three know. Categories. Cheers. Wonderful. Cheers to that. <laughs> um, We're and, in alliance again. <laughs> what uh, What can you tell me about this year's event? Because this is going to come out actually pr- right before this podcast will. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Wanna, okay. Well, this year for sure. Um, at Rider Fest, we've got three keynote speakers. So our keynote speakers are Tyler Merritt of the Tyler Merritt Project, who's yep. a, a vocalist and an actor and a writer, Tyler Merritt, and then Patty Callahan Henry, who's one of my favorite novelists. I read everything she ever writes, New York Times bestselling novelist, and mm-hmm. Julia Whelan, who is also a novelist, but an actor as well, who is the top voice talent for reading novels so she's a voice actress essentially so anybody who's listening who listens to audiobooks will go oh julia whelan because she's top shelf so those are the three keynote speakers and then we have a number of breakout sessions so the breakout sessions cover um you can come as a novice writer somebody who has aspirations to write or you can come as somebody who's written a lot and is ready to take it to the next level or just to make connections and take your career to the next level. So we have panels, we have um, sessions where you can learn a specific skill or craft. And then we even have this year, we've added a thing called Meet the Pros, where you can sign up to spend 10 minutes with somebody who's a professional in whatever specific area that you're interested in some tutelage. Mm -hmm. Um, And then even like during one of the lunches, we have a keynote speaker. And then the other lunch, we have lunch table hosts, which again, are hosted by people who are the top in their industry. So there are just lots of opportunities to learn and to grow um, I feel like that's the way I grow the most is when I gather with other people who are like-minded and who have similar aspirations. So for certain, in a personal plug, um, I was the uh, I got to participate last year, and um, <clears throat> I came away from from that event um, empowered, but also just with a whole bunch of new relationships that have served me professionally. Awesome. And so it was such so such a super win for me. And I will say too that I noticed with um, you know book people are minus you are pretty introverted. It's true. And um, <laughs> not real quick to gather. You know. And so for that reason, it's hard to to hang out with other book types. And um, this event was such a great um, exception to that, where it really did pull in lots of people. And the way it was structured, even um, I don't know how it's going to be this year, but last year there was sort of round tables, and you would just like sit with random people that you'd never met. And that's not, you know, the most fun in the world. It's kind of scary. What are you going to say? It's awkward at the beginning. But then you, you know, maybe somebody went around, what are you doing? What are you writing? And it really quickly, you're like, I bought, you know, four books of, of independent writers that, that were there um, later. You know, I wrote them down and like got them. Well, on. Parnassus is on site selling books. That's They're right. our vendor <laughs> and they have been from the very start. So they do a great job of making sure that we have enough books of the writers that are in, in, in attendance or speaking, not in attendance, who are speaking. Yeah. For, forgive me. And there's there you know certainly an inspirational component to it. The, the keynote speakers uh, get you fired yeah. up. But there's so Remember much. Tara Stringfellow last year. Yeah, so it was, I was like amazing. Good grief. Crazy. Blew my hair back. I was yeah. like, stop. Yeah. This is amazing. 
And, I don't I, ever want to do anything but write and listen and write and read. For sure. Um, but then there was also just really some practical workshops of, you know, like, here's why maybe you should consider self-publishing. Here's some things to think about when trying to find an editor. Um, and then, you know, also you'd look around and there are like lots of real editors in the room with you like, and literary agents and literary agents and like you can talk to them mm-hmm. and they're nice and it's organic and it's I mean, organic it's from not- the, so i've certainly like i said i went with my work i would travel to these certain you know to these other conferences and i always felt like some some not always is the wrong word i would often feel like this is so artificial they're making me have this time that, for instance there's this one speed dating kind of situation yeah. where you have to sit down and pitch Classic. something. Yeah. And I hated those. I didn't hate them for myself. I don't mind. You can pitch me all day long, but I, the other person would be sweating the whole time. And I just thought I will never make anybody do that. So at WriterFest, we intentionally make it more organic. And I've seen so many deals come out of WriterFest and mm-hmm. great or, uh, organically happen. And you know me, I'm always running around going, have you met this person? They're looking for something exactly what, like what you've written. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to match make while I'm there and, and thereafter. But. I was going to ask you what sets WriterFest uh, apart from the other of its kind. And that sounds like the organic component to it. Well, is a big I one. hope that's a big piece of it, but there really is not anything else where the overlap of books, film, and song happen. Most mm-hmm. most writer conferences go more granular. And I don't know, maybe that's the right way to do it. But it just, for me, I've always found so much overlap between those. And I've worked with people who are actresses or songwriters. And I, I to me, and film writing and the all the novels that I've worked on, their aspiration is to get them made into a movie. And that's happened in a lot, a lot of times with books I've worked on. So those things bleed over organically in my brain. Mm -hmm. And so I was always like, why would we eliminate people from this conversation if they're organically linked already? I've said organically 12 times now, so now I get a prize. But, um, But other conferences typically don't do that. So that's been really fun. And like last year, I remember we had, um, Somebody talking. We had Tim Reed from BMG speaking mm-hmm. on on the keynote stage, great. and he brought some Grammy winning songwriters, and they're singing lyrics from like playing music from the stage, songs that you just heard on the radio on the way here. So it's really fun to see to hear people talk about their craft and go, "That's so much like what I do. Mm-hmm. I want to learn from you, mm-hmm. even though that's a different." lane than yeah, the one I'm in. When you hear it from a different angle, it kind of can stir something in you that wouldn't have been uh, stirred had it just come at you straight Remember on. Lisa, Do- were you there the year that Lisa Donovan mm-hmm. was talking was with? last year. And she had, um, she brought in um, a visual artist to have a conversation about the the craft of making memoir as, and, and in conversation with this, the craft of making visual art. I was like, Wow, this is mm-hmm. so really cool. Um, and of course, Lisa's a pastry chef as well, so she brought that into the conversation. So, to me, that's just um, that's inspiring. I enjoy that. Absolutely. Um, there's one last thing I want to touch on before we d- we're done. This is just flown by. Oh my god. Uh, but for me too. You're for sure. you're a, like a super mother in terms of just <gasps> sheer numbers. Okay, we'll just go. <laughs> well, with that. okay, I'll t- I'll take that one. So, how have you managed to do both? Uh, have like such a stellar career and be a mom at oh, the same time? I just time? got really like, really good kids. They were really really cool. Yeah, kids. but you have to make them kind of good at the beginning. I think. Oh, I don't bit. know. I just really lucked out. I'm, I'm there. I'm sure you did where you were very lucky. Um, But also, is there like a time? Are you great at time management or people or over? I'm I'm asking this. I'm trying to think of what. Okay, what, 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 why are you asking? Let me frame it from a personal side, which is that like my wife and I are working on building a family and, Mm. um, you know, more news soon. Maybe. It's not (laughs) crazy breaking news. Uh, But. You know, we're, we, we're, there's a little anxiety around like, how will we maintain, you know, like be creative people and have a kid. Yeah. And I'm a little bit more like, we'll figure it out, babe. It's cool. Um, and, but that's one kid that I'm, I'm not even considering, you know, more than that. But oh. you're proof positive that it can be done and done I, well. Have you met any of my kids? They're awesome. They're I have really, met really one. Of, cool. I met one of your kids and she was so cool. 
we like hung out actually. It was at Writer Fest. It was one of the after parties. Okay, at an after party. I'm trying to think which kid that Meredith? would be. So no, they're all M's, buddy. So you're, you're <laughs> gonna be searching through the M's and you'll find. But um, the, the older boys are not. But um, I would just say um, I don't know. But they're again, they they are a grace to me. They're awesome people. They're very interesting. And I think the thing is, they're they're just people, Corby. It's like. When a person shows up in your life and you're like, this is a really cool person, you kind of make space for them and they make their own space. And mm. it's, we make it a, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of like losing sleep and shots suck. Like when, when a baby gets a shot, for mm. instance, that's really difficult. Like to, there's some things that are difficult, but at the same time, it's like, they're just people and they're, they take up space in your life, but in the best possible way. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. It makes me excited. It's really good. Yeah. It's really good. Corby, like, so two of them went, so one of them was already in college and then another one went to college this year. And so for the last, f- it'll be five weeks now, we've been down to two at home, which is like, what? <laughs> How do we only have two children? <laughs> what is, it's so quiet here. Um, but they both, both of those girls came home this weekend just for a very short time this past weekend. And I was just like, like my face hurt the whole time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm happy to have you back. Um, but yeah, it's it's good stuff. It sounds like it's a very um, full and enriching and enriched life that yeah. you you lead. It's good. Um, it sort of explains too why you're able able to uh, spread so much joy in your in the community and with the Aww. people around you. It seems like it's coming at you. It is coming at me a lot. <laughs> I would say I'm God's favorite. I'm God's favorite. Like, <laughs> I'm just like I mean, you are too. Like everybody sure. is, but I definitely feel like I'm God's favorite. That's a wonderful perspective. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank for you, Corby. It's been really fun. Here. It's so fun. It goes by too quick. So can I come back next week? And we yeah, do the I can't same wait. Thing? Okay, we'll, we'll pick up right where we left <laughs> off. Okay. We didn't even get to talk about like specific books or anything. So oh cool. man! Oh, wait, one last thing. Do yeah. you do you get to read for pleasure, or are you just oh, so? Oh hell yes. Okay. Yes. You do. Oh my gosh. Yes, I wouldn't have it any other way. I love reading. So what do you want a book recommendation? Yeah, no, whatever you're excited about right now, or something that you've read in the last year. That's yeah, no, my fun. my, I mean. The book that I will not shut up about, don't try to make me, is Song of the Cell. Song of the Cell. Song of the Cell. By Siddhartha Mukherjee, I think is his name. Song of the Cell. And it is... Like cell, like I'm in a cell, or cell like I'm in a cell? Like biology. Okay. C-E-L-L. And he also wrote uh, The Emperor of Maladies, which was... Huge, like I think it was huge a few years ago, New York Times bestseller. But I didn't read that one. I just happened to pick this one up at Parnassus, and it is so flipping good. It's is it a, nonfiction? It is, is it a, fiction? It's about the differentiation between cells within a body. Like it explains to me, a complete doofus when it comes to science, about how cells work. Um, like operationally, how they differentiate between each other. And it is it is like, I don't know how he does it, but he is explaining a miracle by way of a miracle. Mm. The book itself is so delicious to read. He has such a beautiful grasp of language. And, and I, when I say beautiful grasp of language, I'm talking like very accessible, but he is respectful of me as a reader. He's not like, okay, doofus, mm-hmm. here's how it works. He's... He, his enthusiasm about the subject matter is so contagious. Mm-hmm. Um, I could, I couldn't, I couldn't wait to get back to it. I was like, "Can everybody stop talking so I can go read my book?" That's the and best feeling. I have been recommending it like crazy, and people who are like, "I don't know," have come back to me and go, "Thank you. It's changed my life because it's really, really good. Lots of poetry. Yeah. Um, like he cites all these poets. I'm like, damn, he's good. He's reading all these world poets and somehow inserting it into this book about cellular biology but um life-changing incredible i'm gonna pick it up please do and next time we see each other we'll have more to talk about (laughs) see cheerleader i'm so big on this book so um stay tuned thank you thanks 